This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's Tuesday. How are you, Daphna? I'm doing good. I'm nervous about the questions that we <laughs> Cardiology this week, huh? Mm-hmm. Why is it always that cardiology is so intimidating? It is, isn't it? Both Maybe the not for you. And the cardiologists themselves. <laughs> I've been lucky to know some very kind cardiologists. My wife is not subscribed to the podcast. That's right. so I'm, That's I'm right. safe. <laughs> I was going to say, don't you know a few kind cardiologists? <laughs> oh boy. I can't, I can't say, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to, uh, edit that part out. Uh, cardiology question six for today. Are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. Okay. So a female infant was born via emergency section at 35 weeks gestation after her mother presented with preterm labor and placental abruption. Ugh. Initial vital signs included a heart rate of 200 beats per minute, a respiratory rate of 60 breaths per minute, and a mean blood pressure of 37 millimeters of mercury. Her examination was significant for cool extremities, poor perfusion. Her arterial pH was 7.30. Echocardiography reveals a structurally normal heart with slightly decreased left ventricular function. What type of shock is this? Choice A, cardiogenic. Choice B, distributive. Choice C, hypovolemic, comma, compensated early shock. Choice D, hypovolemic, comma, uncompensated late shock. Or choice E, neurogenic. Okay, so questions for questions like this, you have to know all the, the, the features of shock. But even if you're not sure, you can probably rule in or rule out some of them, right? So the first thing I like to do is think about the like physical findings. Um, and so I highlight them or underline them. And we do have the capability of doing that on the test. So this kid has a heart rate of 200 beats per minute. So it's tachycardic, a respiratory rate of 60 breaths per minute. So I, I mean, on the upper range of normal um, for a, a neonate, a mean blood pressure of 37 um, in this, you know, uh, late preterm. So the blood pressure is actually um, reasonably sustained. The baby, though, has cool extremities and poor perfusion, um, so it makes me think is is vasoconstricted. And the arterial pH is 7.3, um, so it's, it's not that acidotic, um, which is reassuring uh, in the short term. And that the echo shows a decreased left ventricular function, but an overall normal heart. So the first answer, cardiogenic. Um, there is a decreased left ventricular function. So I, I'm not sure I've totally ruled that out, but in general, it seems like the 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 heart is is working. Um, B distributive. Um, so like I said, this seems very um almost vasoconstricted. Um, so it doesn't look like um distributive uh shock where I would anticipate um vasodilation. Hypovolemic compensated early shock. Um, 
yeah, maybe this baby's tachycardic, vasoconstricted, poor perfusion, but um, doesn't have a really low blood pressure, no significant acidosis yet. Um, so I think that's my lead answer. Hypovolemic uncompensated late shock. Uh, we're getting there, but uh, the baby doesn't have some of those um, concrete findings of um, extremis yet. And then neurogenic, um, it's always a possibility, um, but uh, the fact that the baby has, you know, this uh, tachycardia um, and I can see that perfusion is really um, abnormal um, makes me roll out neurogenic. So uh, I'll go with C, hypovolemic compensated early shock. Congrats. Thank you. Starting off Tuesday with a bang. <laughs> yeah. I think these questions are always tricky because you yeah. have two hypovolemic. So, so right. the fact that they're giving you two answers hitting on a similar category can make you wonder like, oh, maybe it is hypovolemic. I just mm. have to pick which kind. Which one? Yeah. But it's, it could be tricky. Shock can be very, very tricky. Mm -hmm. It's a big topic. We're going to try to address uh, this uh, as best we can in the time that's allotted to us. But basically, what is shock, right? It's... Um, whenever you have blood flow to the tissues, but it's just not sufficient to meet the, the metabolic demands of the tissue. This leads to hypoxia, acidosis, cellular changes, and cellular death, right? I mean, this is the, mm -hmm. the premise. Now there's different kinds of shock. And I guess this is the name of the game when it comes to shock is that you have to understand uh, the reason to why this baby is in shock in order to understand uh, what kind you're dealing with. So the first one we'll talk about is the one that you uh, picked uh, correctly in the answer. It's hypovolemic. Hypovolemic is probably the easiest one to understand because it's in the term, hypovolemic. You have reduced blood volume. And so having reduced blood volume leads to decreased ventricular filling. It leads to decreased stroke volume. It leads to decreased cardiac output. And all that stuff eventually leads to what? An increased heart rate to compensate for the lack of stroke volume. And then because you don't have enough cardiac output, your blood pressure drops because your kidneys are not perfused. You have a decrease in urine output. And, uh, and so that's, that's where the sh shock is stemming from. And the causes of it are fluid losses, obviously, uh, plus minus sepsis, but mostly it's a volume issue. And in this case, it's pretty clear that uh, this is the cause because if you remember, this mother went into preterm labor with placental abruption. So this baby, uh, whenever the placenta abrupted, may have lost a significant amount of, of blood volume, which eventually leads to this hypovolemic shock. Now, you could have compensated versus uncompensated, and that's kind of the easy part mm -hmm. because you can just look at your vitals, and whenever your vitals are all out of whack, then you're uncompensated. Right. And if you're maintaining um, your, your vitals, then, then you're compensated. And so in this case, you can see that your heart rate is abnormal, you have cool extremities, mm -hmm. you have poor perfusion, and yet your blood pressure and pH are maintained. So this is a baby that by increasing heart rate was ab is able to maintain somehow a decent blood pressure and is not yet acidotic. As we've said, shock will lead to acidosis. And so whenever acidosis does sink in, if this baby is not being attended to properly, mm -hmm. um, then you would enter uncompensated shock. So far, so good with hypovolemic. So far, so good. Okay, so let's look at the other ones. Distributive shock is sort of a fake type of shock, I guess. Mm -hmm. that's, how, that's how I think. Um, 
because it's mostly due to vasodilation. Mm -hmm. And so because the vessels are uh, super dilated, you have an, a relatively inadequate uh, uh, intravascular volume. So your vessels are dilated and you don't have enough fluid to fill it up, but you're not really losing fluid. If your, vessel, if your, if your vessels were having a smaller radius, your blood, your intravascular volume would be fine. So, um, and so this is all leads to, um, it's an inadequate for cardiac filling because not enough blood is coming back to the heart. And you see the same symptoms, decreased urine output, decreased blood pressure, increased heart rate. These uh, symptoms, typical sepsis, right? Mm -hmm. Sepsis leads to mm -hmm. massive vasodilation. That is one of the reasons you can have um, toxins, you can have anaphylaxis and uh, other vasodilators, obviously. So that's distributive, another easy one. Yeah, and the distributive is not really – it doesn't really tell you what is happening. But I, I, I remember that it's dilation because you, your blood is too well distributed, right? So these are babies who are uh, have um, brisk – you know, the brisk capillary – uh, refill. They're kind of ruddy looking um, because their their blood vessels are dilated. So. Right. So if you, if you have any trouble remembering, I mean, it's a fairly straightforward, um, I mean, physiologically it makes a lot of yeah. sense, but distributive starts with a D and it's mm -hmm. vasodilation. Yeah. Um, and it's just the blood is not distributed properly. Like it's just in the wrong place. It's just not. Yeah. Okay. The third type of shock is cardiogenic. And that's another, I like shock because the, the, the terms really Mm -hmm. Of course, they say what So cardiogenic means you're in cardiac failure. That's it. So your heart is not doing the job. So there's not enough cardiac output. And that's it. So then because you have not enough cardiac output, your heart rate is high, your blood pressure is low, your urine output is low. It's typical signs of shock. And these can be secondary to congestive heart failure, to some type of metabolic disease, obviously, that could affect cardiac, uh, my, the myocardium. Tamponade, where really something is, is as, mm -hmm. uh, strangulating your heart, not really allowing ventricular filling and, and proper contraction. And also uh, HIE is also associated with uh, uh, cardiogenic shock. Mm -hmm. Finally, we have neurogenic shock, and that's a, a very rare kind, which is there's some damage to the spinal cord, usually uh, above the level of T6, and then the sympathetic tract is completely affected, and that leads to uh, cardiac issues that eventually uh, lead to poor output. So yeah, so um, yeah, an, an uncommon type of shock for our, our babies, Absolutely. right? Yeah, uncommon it is. Yeah, and so these are the types of shock. We have, I'm going to just summarize again: hypovolemic, reduced blood volume. We have distributive, where there's massive vasodilation; cardiogenic, where there's cardiac failure; and neurogenic, when there's some issues with the spinal cord above the level of T6. All right. Sounds good, Daphna? Sounds good. All right. Okay, question nine. A neonatologist is called to evaluate a full-term infant in the delivery room who presents with significant respiratory distress and cyanosis. The maternal history is uncomplicated with normal prenatal maternal screening tests and a normal fetal survey. The neonatologist intubates the infant and observes that the infant is severely hypoxemic with a post-ductal oxygen saturation of 60%. The infant's preductal oxygen saturation is 45%. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? A, a detransposition of the great arteries without a patent ductus arteriosus. B, 
a detransposition of the great arteries with a patent ductus arteriosus and persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn. C, Epstein's anomaly. D, hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Or E, persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn with a patent ductus arteriosus. Okay. I love that question. That's like my favorite question. <laughs> Great. Um, when the preductal sat mm. is lower than the postductal sat, transposition. Transposition. <laughs> yeah. Done. Now, there, um, are, there are some clinical scenarios where you may see that, but transposition is, is top of the top, list. Top, top of, of the list. list. Um, and then, so my, so, I mean, I'm going to, uh, you're going to go over the answer. So I don't want to, I don't want to spoil, um, the answer, but so then preductal is lower, postductal is higher. I go transposition. And then you have two transposition, right? You have mm -hmm. detransposition of the great arteries with or without a PDA. Mm. And obviously once you have detransposition, uh, of the, of the great arteries, what happens is that you create two parallel circuits where um, really there's no communication between the two and there's no way for the deoxygenated blood to get to the lungs and, and then make its way back after that to the systemic. And there's no way um, for the oxygen blood to get back to the left side. So, so because that happens, um, if you don't have some form of communication um, to actually mix your blood or transfer from one side to the other, like you it's not really compatible. Like you, you're mm. just gonna, I mean, this is extremely, extremely critical. Um, I don't want to say that it's lethal because I've seen that you can, if you can attend to them at the delivery, you have about 20 minutes. I'll tell you a story about that. Uh, so then you need that PDA to actually transfer the blood over to the artery. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the answer here should be B, detransposition with a PDA and a persistent pulmonary hypertension of the newborn. Yeah, that's right. So this baby um, has severe hypoxemia. Um, so you have your, right off the bat, you are already thinking about your five cyanotic heart diseases. So I remember that, that truncus arteriosus is number one because um, they share a common um vessel system. Number two is you have the two uh, great arteries that are um, transposed. Number three is tricuspid atresia. Number four is tetralogy um, of Fallot. And then five is your total anomalous pulmonary venous return. So those are your five cyanotic um, heart diseases. And then you're thinking about which ones will present in the perinatal period, um, of which many of them will. Um, but most of them are not any of the answers. <laughs> and then they told us that there was this reverse differential. Um, and so reverse differential cyanosis occurs when the lower extremity oxygen saturation um, or PaO2 is higher than the upper extremity oxygen oxygen saturation. And so this occurs in infants with detransposition of the great arteries, like you said, and with a patent ductus arteriosus and one or more of the following. So they must either have persistent pulmonary hypertension, a coarctation of the aorta, or an interrupted aortic arch. And in all of these combinations, there's inadequate mixing at the atrial and ventricular levels. 
Um, and you see a greater amount of oxygenated blood in the post-ductal uh, circulation. And the way you get more oxygenated blood in the post-ductal circulation is because you have increased pulmonary pressures or these aortic arch abnormalities that result in more preductal circulation. So that's where you really get the, the differential, um, why the, the pre- and post-ductal sets are so different. Can we, do, can we do something? Yeah. So one of the attendings I had basically would walk us into a red blood cell. I think we have to do that. I think we should do that. I think this is fun. I know. So let's say you're a red blood cell and you're well, in you the do body. It. What? You're good. You do it. You're doing sure. it. Okay. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, so so let's pretend like you're a red blood cell and you're in the in the body of a baby with TGA, and then let's just pretend that there's um, that that you have full on DTGA. So you're a red blood cell. You're in the inferior vena cava, and you're making your way up to the heart, right? Mm -hmm. And so you arrive in the heart, you arrive in the uh, right atrium, you uh, go into the right ventricle, and there, instead of going mm -hmm. to the pulmonary artery, which should send you to the lungs to get your oxygen, you are somehow being shunned up into the aorta mm -hmm. and back into systemic circulation with no additional oxygen. Right. And if you are... And then the left side of the of the heart, right, has and blood. and you're and you're deoxygenated. Any blood, any oxygen that there yeah. there was 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 left in the systemic circulation. Right, and right? you have this this deoxygenated red blood cell that just keeps looping around Going in around the systemic circulation. And on the left side, the blood from the left atrium goes into the left ventricle, and then from the left ventricle, instead of mm -hmm. going to the aorta, now goes into the PA. And you go into the pulmonary artery, you go get oxygenated. Now that you're fully oxygenated, you're coming back through the pulmonary veins and you're going back where? Into the left side again. That's and so right. you have these two circuits happening independently where, yeah, there's no communication. And so anytime then you have communication, then you can have some mixing mm -hmm. of, of the blood there. Now, if you do have a PDA, then you can put... So why, why is it important that we have a PDA so that some of the red blood cells that are oxygenated from the pulmonary artery can actually go into the systemic circulation? But right. you said something very interesting. You said you must have a bit of pulmonary hypertension because otherwise the gradient is not great enough to right. actually push them into systemic. And so you need a bit of increased tension in the pulmonary artery so that the gradient pushes the oxygenated red blood cells passed through the PDA into systemic circulation, and that's already passed the preductal. So now your preductal limb hasn't benefited from this influx of, of oxygenated red blood cells. And so that's why your pulse ox on this baby in the, in, the, in the vignette is so low compared to the lower extremities that actually is benefiting from this influx of, of uh, oxygenated red blood cells. We hope this makes sense. <laughs> I think that was very good. I, I want to mention um, there are some great um, graphs um, the way the Brodsky and Martin show you um, circulation. Um, and so I would definitely spend some time just looking at those. I basically had to change the entire way I draw the heart. I used to draw it as like a box with the two <laughs> my two loops. And I, I, uh -huh. I had to change it after I saw the way that yeah. they're, the, the, I think Dr. Brodsky draws them. So 
The story I was going to tell you is that as a fellow, I was yeah. asked to attend the delivery of a baby with of a quote-unquote cardiac baby. Mm. And I show up in the OR and it's a baby with TGA, with no, no. no septal <laughs> or VSD. Um, and basically, I get into this room. This mother probably had a placenta accreta, I think, as well. So I get in a room and there's OB, general surgery. I think there's a trauma surgeon mm. there as well. There's also cardiology present. And they tell me when the baby is born, you have 20 minutes um, you have 20 minutes and they have, you have to have lines in. Mm -hmm. I have never been no so pressure. stressed putting in umbilical lines <laughs> no when pressure. everybody's looking at me and like the baby's life is in the balance. I, it was the worst the central worst. line <laughs> scenario. I got the lines, thankfully, but I was shaking. I was sure. Uh, <laughs> terrible. And you know how like most of the deliveries we go to are in the small OBORs. Like I got into like tight. A, a real <laughs> OR. <laughs> yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, should we do question 10? Let's do it. All right. Question 10, Daphna. A term infant has a prenatal, prenatal diagnosis of a small ventricular septal defect, VSD. Which is the most common type of VSD? Choice A, inlet VSD. Choice B, muscular VSD. Choice C, outlet VSD. Choice D, perimembranous VSD. Um. I, I know that the answer is perimembranous VSD, but I don't know why. <laughs> so um, that is correct. So I actually got this one wrong. Hmm. Um, I had answered muscular. But I think this is a question that comes up often on the test. So VSDs obviously are the most common congenital heart disease, and they're the most common cause of CHF. Now, it has to do with... Um, it has to do with the way the heart develops. Um, again, I am not an embryology expert, but you have two portions of the of the septum when mm -hmm. it develops, right? So you have your muscular part of the septum and you have your membranous uh, portion of the septum. And they're both meeting each other halfway into the ventricle. So the muscular part is at the bottom and it sort of raises uh, up. And mm -hmm. then you have your membranous part at the top and it uh, comes down. Like a, now, like a flap. Like a flap, exactly. Um, and now the way um, the, uh, so, so number one, the perimembranous aspect of the septum is pretty, it's pretty large because we're tend, we tend to think of, of the heart when you're looking at the four chamber view. But if you think of it as looking at it from the side, like you can actually, that the, the septum looks like a baffle, like it's like a, a piece of cloth, right? And so, Number one, the perimembranous part is quite large. Mm -hmm. And the way it, it develops is that these cells are supposed to migrate and, and fill in that space uh, during the embryologic development of the heart. And that is more prone to, uh, to issues and then to leave little holes. And so that's why the perimembranous VSDs are more common. Mm -hmm. And that's it. I Makes think that's sense. good enough for Tuesday. Perimembranous yeah. VSDs, people... Yeah, the only thing I would add, um, both on the test and clinically, is that um, uh, the perimembranous VSDs um, that have muscular components often close uh, spontaneously. So it's just something to note. The muscular I, VSDs. Yes. Mm -hmm. I used to think the I used to think muscular VSDs are strong because <laughs> they're muscular, and these are the ones who are going to close. Well, I used to think that that would make them not close. But now I know that that's a great way to think about it. They're strong. They'll close. <laughs> uh, 
Um, thank you, Daphne. I'll see you tomorrow. That's it. All right. All right. Have a good one. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.